You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packer Net Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, today's going to be a fun, gladly exciting day. I don't know, man. I just let my subconscious run with it. I, you know, see what happens. I don't know. It's kind of like inkblot. Just first thing that comes to your brain. I actually tried to fight back gladly because I'm like, nope, that doesn't work. But it forces its way through and that's what you got. Which leads me to my next thought. Never follow your heart. You actually, you, you probably should think things through. Um, don't go off gut instinct. Don't follow your heart. Um, probably shouldn't follow the stars, any of that stuff. Just, just have a plan, you know, make a plan and um, use, use your intellect and then, and then do that thing. So, well, that's it. You guys have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Oh, wait, we got to do uh, news first. No, but today, uh, after we do the newsy notesy stuff, which isn't very much, but who knows where the ranting will take us, I kind of want to um, I want to take a look at something. I talked yesterday or the day before or whatever about how um, Bob McGinn is one of the more, and I, I know that there's a bad reputation floating around, at least in Packers Twitter. I don't know exactly what that's about, but what I do know is, as far as the NFL draft goes, he's one of the more respected guys out there. So I'll just say that. I don't, I don't know what other kind of stuff is floating out there about McGinn. Thoughts, feelings, comments, questions, whatever. But he's very respected. And, and I think a lot of that really just comes from the fact that he is very plugged in. Um, the reason his big boards and mock drafts and everything else are on point is because he talks to a lot of people and a lot of people talk to him. And that makes your job easier. When you have more information to work with, um, you probably should do much better. And so if you have access to a lot of scouts and um, maybe some GMs and just general feelings about players that other people maybe don't know about, that can really help you form your opinions on what's about to happen. And the good news is um, he kind of gives us some of those insights. And there was a, um, maybe you've already seen it, maybe you haven't. I hadn't until recently. But he actually gave us some of those insights. He spoke with many scouts. Obviously, they're all um, unnamed. We don't know who they are. But he went through basically all of the top prospects and broke down what several scouts had to say. And what I really, there's a couple things I really want to emphasize that I find very interesting and kind of brings a lot of what I've been talking about um, to the forefront. Probably going to forget all the different points, but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll cross those bridges as we come to them. But number one, there are some pretty shocking opinions out there. They're certainly not static the way that we view them. And I, again, I've been saying this over and over and over again. We see a, pro, we see a prospect. He's generally around pick 25-ish is where he goes. And if anyone sees him go in a mock at 15, they lose their mind. If anyone sees him go to the second round, they lose their mind. How dare you? He falls at about 25, which means you take him between pick 21 and pick 28. 
Anything outside of that is absurd and disgusting, and I will I will get sick. I will punch a karma. This whole basement. How dare you, sir? And it's amazing because these are like the best of the best in the business. And you've got some people who are like, I love this guy, um, certainly great, and others, um, you know, I don't know, second, third round pick. Like wildly different opinions. On top of that, there are some opinions, unless you've read this article, you are going to be shocked, shocked, shocked by. I'm talking shocked. Now, another point to be made here, this was, the these conversations took place prior to the combine. However, you're also going to hear with some of the comments that they make, and, and the article was written after the combine, so he adds sort of the, he fills in the blanks in terms of, you know, this is, somebody says he's athletic, and he says he ran a four three seven or whatever. So he'll fill in those blanks. But the point is, the scouts know who the athletic people are. They maybe don't quite know how athletic, so you can kind of adjust things a little bit here and there as far as maybe they change their opinion based on how athletic, but staggeringly shocking opinions on some of these guys. So um, extremely interesting. I love it because it's it's as inside baseball as you're going to get. This is from the mouths of scouts, the guys that are basically making the decisions, right? These are the conversations going on in the draft war rooms. These are, these are the kinds of comments that Brian Gutekunst is hearing back. By the way, I'm going to have to do a massive amount of censoring because apparently it is a requirement to um, basically be a trucker, which they kind of are. I mean, they're on the road 24-7. They probably just are in a little bit more of a comfortable vehicle. But just some of the stuff is so unnecessary, and it's hilarious that, um, I mean, Bob McGinn's like, I'm just going to give it to you straight. This is a, this is a direct quote. So... I may try to play with my bleep button just for fun, but I'll probably just try to change the sentences as they go along. It really takes some of the punch out of it, though. I've, I've, I did it as I was reading it, like trying to change the sentence around, and I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, you got to go back and like retrying it, like, but, but, but he didn't say that. He said like the thing, like the, the one, you know, think about that. If he'd said the one word, what it, what, you know what I mean? So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, and but before that, we got some news and notes. But I, I want to give a couple quick shout outs. Number one, uh, JJ and Clayton, they've been doing the afternoon shows that, like I mentioned, we got a couple new shows coming on board here, uh, hopefully in the next week or so. But just wanted to give a shout out, those guys are working overtime. Um, we got an extra bonus podcast from JJ last night, grading even more mocks because there was just a massive amount of interest. And he's like, you know what, if that's what the people want, I'm going to give the people what they want. So, um, we're getting bonus episodes from JJ. We got a bonus episode from Clayton coming out tonight, which is going to be awesome. And then if you hadn't listened to JJ's episode last night, um, he also laid out some of the guests he's got coming on. And there's some pretty big guests. Uh, he's got a, a one of the main CBS writers coming on, I believe, this week. Um, he's got plans for uh, Josiah DeGuara's dad, Dean, to come on the show. He's got Coach Hahn coming on, I think, also this week. So he's got kind of a, a, a twofer. And um, the biggest possible guest of all of those guests, um, he's working on also. It's, it's um, I would say, as big as all of those combined or bigger, if, if he can do it. He, he had a commitment in the past, and he's got to try to see if he can get a recommit. But um, JJ making moves. But again, just wanted to, to give a quick shout out to those guys and the, the hard work that they're doing. Anyways, news and notes time. Um, first of all, it looks like Devontae Parker was traded to the New England Patriots couple things on that. Number one, I never want to hear anybody complain about trading to somebody within the division. There have been a couple times that I've done that. Usually it's just like in the uh, in the actual NFL draft and people lose their mind. Nobody would trade within their division, which just uh, 
just know that I will throw this in your face every single time. I know it's rare and you generally don't want to do it, but just like everything else, there are general rules, but there are always exceptions to the rules, right? He's 24 years old. The Packers will never draft him. Why? Well, the Packers don't like old players. Nobody likes old players. Are you saying nobody's going to draft him? Somebody's going to draft him. Somebody is going to look at a guy, recognize that 24 is a negative, and draft him. Right? That's already baked in. The 24 part. I mean, if he was 21, he would have been drafted higher. The reason he's this low on the board is because he's 24. And so, and, and here's the other thing. Would the Packers draft him in the seventh round? Probably, right? Why? Because the value became good enough. So the point is, if this is a guy that if he was 21 years old is valued as a top 10 prospect, but at 24 years old is valued as a, you know, top 28 prospect, would the Packers maybe take him at 28? So stop with that. Stop with that. It's, it's, it's obnoxious. There's nothing wrong with, I guess, just choosing not to because you think the Packers generally care more than anybody else, but it's not a hard and fast rule that you can just throw in everybody's face. That, that, that's stupid pick because of the... No, dude. For example, do you have any idea how old Royce Newman was when we drafted him? He's 24 years old. You know Josh Myers was 23, TJ Slayton, 23, Shamar Jean Charles, 23, Cole Van Lannan, 23. Kylan Hill, 23. Basically, the entire draft class in 2021 was 23 years old. The only guy that was 21 was Amari Rogers. Isaiah McDuffie and um, Eric Stokes are the only ones that were 22. Everyone else is 23, and Royce Newman was 24. So what are you talking about? Kadar Holman, 24. Hunter Bradley, 24. Uh, Vince Beagle, 24. Kyler Fackrell, 24. Kyrie Thornton was 24 when we drafted him. Dimitri Goodson was 25 when we drafted him. Josh Boyd was 24 when we drafted him. Charles Johnson, 24 when we drafted him. James Starks, the running back, 24. Darren College was 24. Brady Papinga was 25 when we drafted him. Since 2000, in the first three rounds, the Packers have drafted nine players that were 24 years old. Kyler Fackel, Kyrie Thornton, Pat Lee, Darren College, Joey Thomas, B.J. Sander... Kenny Peterson, Torrance, Marshall, and Chad Clifton were 24 years old. All of them were um, drafted in the first three rounds. And don't get me started on 23, because there's a billion players we drafted that were 23 years old. Again, Josh Myers, Ashaya DeGuara, Elton Jenkins was 23, Jay Sternberger, 23, Oren Burks, Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, Dayton Jones, Eddie Lacy, Alex Green, Mike Neal, BJ Raji, Clay Matthews. In fact, I, Jordy Nelson, 23. Uh, Justin Harrell, James Jones... On and on and on and on and on and on and on. In fact, there's only one guy we've drafted in that entire group. Um, again, first three rounds, that was 20, and that's Kenny Clark. There are 14 guys that were 21. So it's not that common. Like, well, they like young guys. They, they've drafted a handful of those. Again, Amari Rogers, Jordan Love, Rashawn Gary, uh, Jair Alexander. Maybe it's just because the last four years in a row they've gra- drafted 21-year-olds. And you had three years in a row with uh, Jordan Lover, Sean Gary, Jair Alexander that gave that impression. But the, the last time we drafted someone prior to Jair was 2014. Ha ha, Clinton Dix was 21. So maybe it's like a, a Gutekunst in the first round rule that you're making up. But unfortunately, that doesn't apply to Eric Stokes again, who was 22. And then Josh Myers, the next round, who was 23. So again, with the rules, relax. Everybody likes younger players if they can get them. It's a massive benefit but it is not a disqualifying factor. So if you want to use that to kind of um, adjust your boards, that's fine. That makes sense. But let me posit a theory to you. The boards have already been adjusted for age. 
So if you see a 24-year-old that's in the range of where the Packers are picking, they're only in range of where the Packers are picking because they're 24. Again, if they were 20 years old like Kenny Clark, they would probably not be within range of the Packers. Just a thought. You don't have to agree. You do whatever you want with that information. But, I mean, people get so stuck on stuff. We get it. Relax. In fact, I found a little thing here. Um, the Draft Network put out something. This was done, uh, some work done by Bet Prep. Basically just providing some statistics for uh, draft prospects based on age. The majority of the prospects, and he- here's something else to keep in mind. The majority of the prospects are 22 years old. I don't know what year this is from. It doesn't matter, but here's a little chart. 209 of the prospects are 22 years old. 172 are 23. 132 are between 20 and 21. So that's encompassing two years, and it's still third on the list. 24-year-olds, there's 27. So when you say the Packers almost never draft 24-year-olds, guess who else doesn't draft 24-year-olds? Anybody else. You know why? Because there's almost none of them. When there's lesser of them, it's less likely you're going to draft them. But that doesn't mean that you follow that trend as a rule for the Packers. It's probably a trend because if you threw a dart randomly at this pool of guys, the the odds of you hitting a 24-year-old are very low. In fact, let's do the math on this really quick. There are 27 24-year-olds out of 540 prospects. That's 5%. If you have seven picks, there's about a one in three chance you're going to end up with a 24-year-old prospect, just on average. The Packers drafted how many 24-year-olds last year? One. That seems high, doesn't it? But the average overall pick is higher for younger players. The average overall pick for players between 20 and 21 is 14.6. Sorry, this this is first-round picks. I was going to say, that doesn't make sense. So this is first-round picks through, I don't know, from some point through 2016. Average Overall pick of a 20 to 20 year old is 14.6, 22-year-old 16.6, 23-year-old 17.3, and 24-year-old 17.5. They also say the career approximate value based on pro football reference, 20 to 21 year olds 44, 22 year olds 43, 23-year olds 40, 24-year olds 35. Why? Probably because you're going to play less. You're not going to play as long. So your overall value as a player goes down. And again, if you're saying, well, yes, there's less 24-year-olds in the first round because they're 24, so that's skewed. Right, but that's exactly my point. It's already baked in. So conversely, another way to look at that is if you draft a 24-year-old in the third round, maybe their talent is actually that of a first or second round player, but because they're 24, they slid, right? So I'm just, I'm just saying maybe we should reframe it as opposed to 24 Packers won't draft them. Let's, let's reframe the way we think about that. 24, therefore, nobody will draft them, which isn't true. Somebody will draft them, but who? Possibly the Packers. I don't know. Anyways, all that from the whole stupid uh, trade. I think something else to take away from that, because again, it's, it's not that it's common to trade among uh, division rivals. And I'm not saying that it is, and I'm not saying it happens all the time. I understand that it's rare. The only point I'm making is we got to stop with these 100% rules. It never happens. That'll never happen. The Packers will never draft a 24-year-old. They, you will never trade a player within the division. There are, there, I, don't, I can't think of a single rule where there's just a hard and fast never, ever, ever. I'm sure there's a couple, but they're, they're way out there. With that being said, it is rare, and I think that that tells you that there was very, 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 very little interest in Devontae Parker. That or the Patriots were just way above and beyond what everybody else was offering. In other words, you're getting like seventh round offers at best for Devontae Parker and the, the Patriots, because again, the, the teams are not communicating necessarily with each other. Like, what are you offering? Although I'm sure Miami's playing them off of other people, but 
you know, if, if you got the Packers saying, I'll give you a seventh, and the Patriots are like, I'll give you a third, and Miami goes back to the Packers and saying, dude, the, pa- the Pats are offering a third, man. You got to come up. Offer me a fourth, and I'll, and I'll, I'll shake your hand because I don't want to give them to the Patriots. And the Packers are like, nope, I'm out. It had to have been very different. So with that in mind, understand that the Patriots must have overpaid. Because if there was a single other team that offered any other compensation that was close to this, Miami would have sent him somewhere else. Either that or they think so low of Devontae Parker that they were excited to send him to a division rival because he's garbage. I don't think that's the case. I think my first theory is probably the most correct. But I, I, I want to offer that in terms of other perspective and because a lot of, not well, probably less than 50%, but it's still a large portion of Packer fans are upset about this trade because the Packers didn't do it. And, and the thing is, it's not even about Devontae Parker. And this is probably the thing that annoys me the most. Nobody cares about Devontae Parker. It's just the fact that the Packers didn't do something. And most of the, the angry Packer fans that are out there, including the one that swore at um, Mark Murphy because he's a complete child, it's not about you should go get this specific player. And by the way, if you have that mentality, you should just go get a veteran. You don't really care who. You just need to do something. You're wrong. You're just wrong. You don't just go, and I'm, I'm not going to go on that rant again. But the whole, we need to do something because something is better than nothing is a such, it's such a stupid, stupid, stupid thought process. You don't just do something because it's something. You need to do the right things for the right reasons. You don't just do random things because it shows that I care. That's stupid. And so when you make phone calls, you have a price. This is how much we can afford. This is our budget. And then you go out and say, this is how much these things are worth. So if I have... Um, you know, let's say I got $10,000 to go buy a car and I go to a car lot and there's 10 cars on this lot. Half of the cars are over my budget, so I cannot pay for them. I can haggle and I can try to get them down to my price range, but if they won't come down, I can't pay for it. And I'm not going to, you know, take out a loan or do any of these other things for my car. It's my example. I'm going to do whatever I want. We're paying cash for a car. I have $10,000. That's my budget. That's what we're doing. For the other five, we're looking at four and five thousand dollar cars, and they're trying to charge me eight, nine, ten thousand dollars. And although I have the money, that's a bad value. And I'm not just going to give them the proper value and then light the other value on fire. In other words, just I'm, I'm just going to throw money in the garbage, is what I'm doing. Because I'm taking ten thousand dollars and getting a four thousand dollar car in exchange. That's not how that's supposed to work. So. For us to sit back and say, why haven't they done anything? It's, it's an abomination for them to have not done anything. The only way you can come to that conclusion is for you to have some kind of inside knowledge as to what the Packers are trying to do, what the value of all these players are, and what all these players are asking for, also what all these players want in return, as well as what the Packers' criteria is. This guy's too broke down. We're not going to bring him on. So no, it's not just a matter of do something, do anything. You need to do something. That's not correct. They need to do the absolute best they can to bring in the most value possible. And by the way, it's, it's hard to compete with draft picks. I understand in terms of first-year value that that's, that's a question mark. It is, but overall value, the draft picks are going to win every time, especially when you look at the available pool of, of players out there. There's not much, man. And forget your whole DK theory and, 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 and dream. Just give that up. The Packers don't want it. I don't want it. It's, it's, not, it's too much. Of the available players that are out there, I mean, and there, there may be something out there. You know, there's a second round prospect that we haven't talked about. I don't know. That's that's something else. But I'm I'm looking at the available pool, and I'm I'm completely at peace with the idea of I I would like in theory for them to get a quality veteran. I don't know if that's a possibility, right? I mean, you you can't just manufacture these things from the sky. 
And so the only thing we're going to be, the, the only time we can judge the Packers and what they've done is going to be this time next year. Just so we're clear, judging the Packers based on their wide receiver room for next year in April is, I mean, I'll call it psychotic because I want to be a little bit polite, but guys, I mean, this is, this is stupid. We don't know who the wide receivers are, whether or not they're going to trade, whether or not they're going to sign a veteran, who and how many wide receivers they're going to draft and how much uh, production we're going to get from them is information we won't find out for months and months and months at this point. By the way, even by November, when people are trying to put their stamp on this guy's a bust, that was a terrible pick and all that, we still don't know that information. And even if by the conclusion of that year, the only thing we'll be able to judge is what they did to help us in 2022. We still don't know the long-term career of these guys, just like with Amari Rogers, where I'm having to beg people to please stop trying to put a stamp on like eight, eight targets. Stop trying to officially declare this guy a bust on eight freaking targets. I, sometimes with this fan base, man, I just don't get it. Again, I understand it's not everybody, but it, it, let's not also pretend that it's a small minority. I get that message all the time. Stop, stop getting mad at like this small minority. Dude, I'm sorry to tell you, I, I, you know, ah, good for you for staying off of social media. It is not a small minority of people. It just isn't. I wish it was, but it's not. Anyways, the only other uh, news that I saw is apparently Rob Gronkowski is supposedly expected to sign with the Buccaneers again. Good. I don't care. Stupid team. I want them to fail so badly. I got to start like um, forgiving teams here pretty soon because the amount of teams that I hate is growing so rapidly. It's growing way too fast. I mean, obviously, it's the NFC North, aside from the Packers. Um, I still kind of hate the Patriots because they're still good. I mean, I, I was on the verge of forgiving them, and then they were good last year. And it's like, all right, I, I hate you forever. It is a permanent ban in my brain. Uh, I hate the Chiefs. I hate the Bucks. If the Bills really dominate this year, I may go from them being like my second favorite team to really disliking them. You know, the Rams. I, I, I didn't mind the Rams because we kind of had their number. We just kind of smoked them whenever we played them. It didn't seem to be a big deal. But uh, they won the Super Bowl. So that's annoying. So I, I expect a, a prompt fall off or I will start to get annoyed. So um, yeah, really starting to uh, very much dislike every other, which I guess is good. If you're a Packers podcaster, having hatred for everybody else is probably a good thing, right? It makes laughing at the enemy just glorious. Anyways, I think that's all for news. I don't really care about Gronkowski all that much. The guy hasn't been very good for quite a while. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? Remember, we got the two GoFundMes on Twitter and on Facebook. If you want to uh, know where they are, just reach out. I'll send you links. Don't forget about modernfrontier.com. It's a great place to get all your meat and whatnot. Use promo code MEATPACKER, one word, all caps. You get $25 off your order. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so uh, for the rest of the time, I'm just going to go through these two articles here uh, that were done by Mr. Bob McGinn. Um, he's got one that's on offense and one that's on defense. And um, again, he just he goes through every single prospect kind of in order based on position. So you look at, for example, on defense, defensive line, um, the top seven, you know, because they've got 27 guys total. So whoever's in the top 27, whatever, whatever. But it's in order. Same for offense, they have uh, 23. Why? Because if you add those two together, it's the top 50 prospects. So that's what we're talking about today. Top 50 prospects broke down by position in order. Might skip quarterback and whatnot. We'll see exactly how we're doing on time. I probably want to read about Matt Corral, although it's probably just going to depress me a little bit to to have to do that, but um, that's fine. But again, I just want to pay special attention to I, I guess all of it, just, just, just how wildly different this is from expectations. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing because we need this right around this time. And again, this isn't just random people on Twitter and they're uneducated opinions. These are the people making, maybe not necessarily the GMs, but these are the guys in the ears of the GMs. These are the guys on the ground talking to guys like Brian Gutekunst saying, this is my opinion of this prospect. So, um, Let's get started. I guess we should probably do offense first, although I'm curious about what to do on quarterback, but we'll just skip it. We're going to start off with wide receiver because that's where he starts in the article. Plus, it's the most interesting. Um, The order, I'll give you the order first, which isn't super shocking when you hear the order. But again, I think some of the comments that you're going to hear are shocking. And and keep in mind, if if the prospect you're thinking of is not on this list, it's because they're not in the top 50. Um, in order, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, and John Mechie. The only things kind of surprising about this, and yes, again, pre-combine, so this may have changed even for some of the scouts, but again, most of these scouts kind of know, or they, they were 
probably less shocked by a lot of the the times and everything else than we were. But um, Chris Olave is generally considered better than Traylon Burks would be one of the surprise things. But then you got Jamison, which is about right. Um, after that is usually Jahan Dotson. And then after that, John Mechie is surprising because um, he's usually out of the top 50. You got George Pickens that might be in there instead, or, or maybe, you know, it wouldn't be Mechie. Let's just put it that way. But anyways, let's dig in a little bit and see what they have to say. Garrett Wilson, um, consensus number one. There, there have been one or two mentions of Drake London possibly being better, but here's what they had to say about Garrett Wilson. Says, reminded one scout of Devontae Smith, the former Alabama wideout who was drafted number 10 by the Eagles last year. Here is a quote from the scout. The word is explosive, the scout said. Talented receiver with quickness and run after the catch. If he runs in the four threes, he could possibly go top 10. He did, by the way. He just isn't big. And then he goes on to elaborate, says he ran the 40 and 438 seconds at the Combine in Indianapolis. Quote, it's a toss-up between Wilson and London as first to go, another scout said. Again, this is kind of becoming the consensus that we're finding out. A lot of people thought it was Wilson, then it would have been Olave. It seems like Drake is pretty much a lock number two. And, and again, he Drake may go number one. Uh, Olave may go a lot earlier than, than what the scouts are thinking, because again, it depends which teams, which scouts, which GMs, which preferences they have, all that stuff, but whatever. Scout goes on to say, he's really good. He's smaller, but he's fast and explosive. There's a lot of T.Y. Hilton to him. He can play inside or outside. Moving on to Drake Lund. So, so that isn't, none of that is super shocking, right? He's a top 10 prospect. He's explosive, but he's not big. He can play inside, outside. That's fine. Drake London, 6'4", 219. Had a spectacular junior season. This is, uh, uh, this is Bob McGinn talking. Had his spectacular junior season cut short after eight games by a broken ankle. Two scouts said he was be- he was better than Michael Pittman, his former teammate at USC, who became the Colts' leading receiver in 2021. Quote, first rounder slam dunk, one scout said. I loved him last year, and I love him this year. He's got body control, balance, hands, run after the catch. He can rebound. He'll play like Jordy Nelson, maybe a little faster. Nelson ran a 4-5-4 four, four in 2008. That, if that doesn't get you excited for him, I don't know what else does. A Jordy Nelson type. Had 88 receptions for 1,084 yards and seven touchdowns this season. Compared to Mike Evans by a third scout, quote, he reminds me of Cooper Cup, said a fourth scout. He's the big dude. He's productive as can be, and he's competitive. Uh, his competitiveness is off the charts. For a big guy, he really runs great routes. He has great hands, plays big. Some people will question if he has top, top speed, but who cares? He just gets open and catches everything. Cup isn't, silky, isn't a silky smooth athlete. This guy isn't either, but he's so efficient. Now, again, it's great hearing scouts talk like this, because if you put it in that perspective, again, my question about Drake is really just, can he separate? And according to these guys, of course he can. Can't necessarily explain it, (laughs) because he doesn't have top speed, and he's maybe not the cleanest route runner in the world, but he just finds a way to get open. And again, the comp of Jordy Nelson is like, geez, man. It it really makes you wonder, because he's got the big body that the Packers like. If there's a trade-up for the Packers to get a wide receiver... Um, I don't know that it's Olave. I think Drake London makes the most sense. If, again, if they buy into all this particular, um, you know, whatever. I doubt if he's a bigger, faster, stronger Jordy Nelson, the Packers would be like, nah, not our style. Moving on to Traylon Burks. Uh, says, it remains to be seen if teams hold his 4-5-5-40 against him. Quote, I estimate he'll run 4-5-5, said one scout who had Burks wired. Again, the scouts were a lot more, I mean, that's that's dead accurate. <laughs> We were disappointed. Scouts are like, nah, he's a four five five guy, which is, is is kind of odd because we're looking at it going, you can't find four five five on the tape. 
And scouts are watching him going, no, he's 4-5-5. That's about what he is. Scout continues, big playability. Reminds me of Mike Evans, the way he makes all those contested catches. The quarterback was not a good passer, but he still caught 66 passes for 1,104 yards. He's something similar to Julio Jones, which, oh my goodness. <laughs> I understand it's it's a silly comp, but it's also like, dude, come on. Why are you getting me? Why are you getting me all fired up, man? Jones had that deceptive speed. Bob cuts in, says return punts 10.3 and kickoffs 20.5 as a true freshman. Those are the yards. Also rushed 38 times from what is often a slot location. Quote, he's a wild card with all the injury stuff, said one scout. He's really, really interesting. You don't think he's that fast because he's kind of got a big um, lower half. But darn, he just runs by everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm working it hard here. A third scout described Burks as a gadget guy from the mold of Cordero Patterson. Kind of an A.J. Brown look to him, said a fourth scout. He's got some build-up speed, but he's not a quick route runner. Uh, they did a lot of gadget stuff with him. Uh, why, I don't know, because he doesn't know. He doesn't really have those kind of run skills. Inconsistent hands need some development. So you got one guy saying he's kind of like Julio. You got another guy saying he's kind of like A.J. Brown. And then you got another guy saying he's like Cordero Patterson, and he's just not very good. He's got some build-up speed, but he's not a quick route runner. Mostly doing gadget stuff, and I don't know why they're doing gadget stuff, because he doesn't have good run skills, he has inconsistent hands, and he needs development. Do you think, by the way, those scouts, assuming those scouts are for different teams, do you think they have them anywhere near each other on the same board? Now, I'm not saying the guy who said he's kind of got some Julio in him thinks he's as good as Julio, but if you see see any amount of Julio in him, I'm guessing you're thinking early first round. Let's say pick 12, 13, 14. Would you be surprised if you thought that the, the, the last scout there, Scout 4, thought maybe he was kind of a late first, early second round pick? Which I know sounds crazy, but just wait until you hear some of the stuff we're about to say. I would bet there are teams that think Traylon Burks is not worth it in the first round. I would bet a lot of money, actually. Next up, we got Chris Olave. Bob again says, played off the bench as a freshman before hauling in 32 touchdown passes from 2019 to 2020 as a three-year starter. Quote, he should have come out last year, said one scout. He would have been right up there. I like him. Not top magic with the ball in his hands, but a really good player. He's not a number one receiver, but you'd love to have him. Not explosive like Jamison Williams, but he can still really run. Clocked a 4-3-9 at the Combine. Quote, he's going to be a better pro than Wilson, another scout said. I say that because for some reason the quarterback there loved Olave. It's probably dependability. They know he's always going to be there. Added a third scout. Use caution with a one-year production guy, particularly if he's an underclassman. The kid, play, uh, the kid has played and produced since he got on campus, and he's made big plays in games. Part of the reason I like this is because you get such honest takes. I mean, you can tell just by the language that when they talk to Bob McGinn, even though I'm sure they know they're on the record, they're just talking to him like a guy. Bob is just one of the guys. And so you get honest feet. You don't hear this stuff about a lot. The, 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 the thing about the draft and, and this time of year is everybody's a superstar. People talk about third and fourth round picks, you know, as though they're, they're all basically Julio Jones. When you look at how people talk about prospects compared to what the actual expectations are um, based on historical results, it's, it's wildly skewed in the positive. These things are still positive, but you get a lot more just, I mean, when, when have you ever heard anybody talk about Chris Olave like this? Saying basically, I like him. In other words, I don't love him, but I like him. Not top magic with the ball in his hands, but he's good. He's not a number one receiver, but you like him. If that's from the Packers, if that's their perspective, they will not take him in the first round. The Packers need a number one wide receiver. If Chris Olave would be like a solid complement to your number one wide receiver, 
that's that's great for some teams. That's not great for the Packers. By the way, that's exactly my question with a lot of these guys. Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson. Can you be a number one or are you just a solid number two? Jamison Williams is that speed guy. That's a great compliment, in my opinion. And, and in other words, I believe that I, I, I'm fairly confident that he can be that. I don't know that he can be the number one. That's my question. And that's my question with a lot, even with Traylon Burks. Cool, you're like a gadget guy and you can do all these fun things like Amari and you can do like the stuff from the slot and maybe can go outside. But can you be like Devante? Can you be that number one reliable guy down after down? Or are you a solid number two option? That's my question. That's my concern. And it's just, it's, it's nice and it's refreshing to hear scouts give honest taste. And, and listen, if, if and when some guys love him, they say that they love him. If they don't, then they don't. Nobody said they disliked Olave, but the, the general consensus from what I just heard from, what, three different scouts is generally cautious optimism. No over-the-moon excitement. No just rabid, you gotta get him. You can't miss out on this guy. He's gonna change. I mean, you know, go on Packers Twitter and see what they say about Chris Olave. And there's nothing wrong with getting hyped up. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying at this point, it's refreshing to just hear something a little bit more just just honest, uh, measured, and from, you know, the top people in the business makes this even better. Jamison Williams, says Bob McGinn, played behind Olave and Wilson in two seasons at Ohio State before transferring. Quote, he's the exact opposite of Drake London, one scout said. He looks kind of thin, but he's the most explosive of all the receivers. He's just electric, big-time playmaker. He can run through any defense. Uh, he likes to body catch it some, but he has good enough hands. Uh, he just has a gear. He's got that Deshaun Z- Jackson type of gear. Uh, doesn't matter. I'm just going to run by everybody. Bob says, suffered a torn ACL in the national championship game. Quote, he would have been really close to a top receiver, a second scout said. He's a vertical nightmare. Now you've just got to discount him. Second round. Uh, let, me, let me read that again. He's a vertical nightmare. Let me, let me back up all the way. He would have been really close to a top wide receiver. He's a vertical nightmare. Now you've got to discount him second round. Now, I don't think he's going to go in the second round because all it takes is one. One team to say, no, he's a first round pick. And he goes in the first round, whether that be 25, 26, 27, maybe 28 to the Packers. I don't know. But I know for a fact that there are teams out there that view Jamison Williams as a second round prospect based on his ACL injury. And even prior to that, they said he was close to being a top guy. In other words, he may have been in that conversation as one of the top guys, like, in other words, maybe behind Drake London. But with the ACL injury and the uncertainty that comes with that second round prospect, again, you just don't hear that. In fact, if you do something on, if you ask on Twitter, at pick 22, Olave and Jamison Williams are available, who's, who are you taking? Most will say Olave, but there are people who will say, if you don't take Jamison Williams, you're an idiot. There's a lot of certainty there. There's cert- there's quite a bit less certainty um, among some of these scouts. And again, every description is sounding to me like a really quality number two receiver. I think at best, you're talking about Deshaun Jackson. And I don't know if even in his prime, would you call Deshaun Jackson? I know a lot of people are going to get mad at me for even saying it. Would you call him a number one? Because you got to understand, I'm talking about a guy that's going to call in like 11, 11 targets consistently, like 10 targets, eight receptions consistently. It's cool if you can be like three targets, two receptions, 104 yards. That's that's not a bad thing, but I, you're not my number one receiver. You're a really talented guy who does one thing, right? I mean, there's there was nothing cooler than Michael Vick and Deshaun Jackson, that, that combo. I remember that one time there was like back-to-back games. There might have even been three games in a row. First play was like a 50-yard shot. It was such a cool pairing, but that's being cool and, and being a deep threat 
is not what I'm asking. I'm not talking about the guy that's going to give you like one really good play a game. It takes a lot more than that to win a football game on a consistent basis. Very important, but different question. Um, probably got to pick up the pace. Jahan Dotson, Bob says, improved each season with reception totals of 13 in 2018, 27 in, in uh, 19, 52 in 20, 91 in 21. Quote, maybe he sneaks in the first round, but more of a second rounder, said one scout. Uh, darn good player, not a really big guy, but the ball skills are probably the best in the group. He's super fast and a good route runner. He's a little bit small, but versus press, you can see, uh, you can do some stuff with him as far as bringing him out of the slot and motioning him. The, the speed you've got to respect. Been a punt returner guy. Um, if you get him in the second round, you'll be real happy. Goes on to say, ran 4-4-3, finished the 2020 season weighing 173 pounds. Team first, non-diva approach. Quote, he's just a guy, said a second scout. They scheme him open, average size, average athlete, average speed, does everything kind of average. Again, the difference in what scouts are saying. You got one guy saying he is, I mean, he's too small. And you, you're, he's, again, he's not a number one guy. The fact that you have to scheme him off of press, I'm sorry, you have to beat press if you're a number one guy. That's, that's, that's 101. If, if a guy's in your face and you can't win, you're not the guy. You can be a guy, you're not the guy. So the only universe in the world in which we take Jahan Dotson would be we get a guy like Drake London, and then the second round we get Jahan Dotson as a compliment. And I don't think we will, because 5'10", 178. Yes, I know, that doesn't mean they, they can't, but it's still less likely because of the size. But, but again, the, the difference between you know one guy saying, he might sneak into the first really good football player, really great ball skills, really great route runner. He's just a little small and he struggles against press. And the other guy going, he's just average. He's kind of just, you know, scheme him open, average size, average athlete, average speed, does everything kind of average. Again, I love it because if you looked at the boards, they would be so shockingly different. It's crazy, which is why we really just got to stop saying on draft day, why would you take him there? He would have been, he would have fallen to you. Why did you trade up for that guy? He would have fallen. Same with like Jordan Love. Nobody was trading up, you idiots. He wasn't, he wasn't even a good value there. Okay. Well, you have no idea what, what scouts thought and what other teams think. And that's part of the challenge of teams is if you really, really like a guy, what are you going to base it on to, to know if he's going to fall to you or not? The, the odds that you're the only team that really, really likes him and is, and is willing to trade up or that the, the teams kind of remaining aren't going to trade up. Finally, John Mechie out of Alabama. Again, kind of a, an unusual candidate to be the next in line, but he is a top 50 guy according to this, 5'11", 187. Born in Taiwan, grew up in Africa, now living in Canada. Quote, he's more of a combo guy, one scout said. Inside, outside, X, Z, slot. He can do it all. Had six catches for 97 yards and one touchdown against Georgia in the SEC championship game before suffering a torn ACL. Did interviews at the Combine, expects to be cleared medically by June with no restrictions. Quote, he's a possession receiver, but he's quick, said another scout. Runs good routes. Uh, he doesn't have top speed or explosion. Uh, we won't find out his speed now. More of a chain mover, a third scout said. Good football player. I don't know how you can take him uh, that high first round. So, I mean, that's I, I don't think anyone really expects John Mechie to be a first round. But again, he's kind of being described as a decent number two receiver. I mean, the, the way that they describe him reminds me of like a Geronimo Allison type or, or even like an Alan Lazard, but obviously a much smaller version, but just a guy that you can move around. You can put him outside. You can put him inside. You can put him in a bunch of different spots and he's going to convert third downs for you. Uh, tight ends, there's zero. So they had zero tight ends in the top 50, which is a little surprising. Uh, I know it's not a very top end, top heavy tight end group, but 
Um, generally speaking, at the very least, Trey McBride is is like in the 30s. And usually there's there's two or three that'll make it in the top 50, but not according to this list. So I'll move on to offensive line. I don't think, you know, just for the sake of time getting through all this, I don't think we're going to go over everybody, but let's at least touch on a couple guys that are maybe within range. Um, in other words, we don't really need to talk about Iki Aquanu because uh, pending a big slide from him, and the Packers trading up, there's no way. And and based on this and a lot of other things, he's potentially the first tackle off the board, so that's not going to happen. Same with Evan Neal. Not really worth talking about him. I guess we can start with Charles Cross because he's at least in trade-up territory, depending on who takes tackles and when and how and where and all that stuff. And we've seen, you know, there might be a big run on edge rushers and quarterbacks and wide receivers. And so that may push Charles Cross out of the top 10, potentially, not even based on talent, just based on, you know, there's, there's two tackles ahead of him, and who knows what positions go first, because there's a lot of stuff that can happen. There's only 10 people that can go, and there's three pass rushers presumed, right, to go in the top 10, one at least wide receiver, you got two other tackles, so we're at six, you got uh, the safety, you've got another, at least one more wide receiver, you got a couple defensive tackles that are question marks maybe two quarterbacks. So we'll start with Charles Cross. I'm just going to read the the scouting quotes, I think. Uh, He's my number one offensive lineman, one scout said. He has the best mix of athletic ability, strength, production, excellent with his hands. He just uh, gets on guys and blocks them. He's the most complete of all of them. Left tackle, always in the two-point stance here. He'll have to learn the other stuff. Another scout said Cross reminded him of Tyron Smith in rating him the best. Consistent run and pass blocker, he said. I put him in the top 10 because he's a good run blocker. Uh, the rest of the top guys have good feet, but are pusher. Cross ran a four nine five forty to go with thirty four and a half inch arms, ten and three quarter inch hands. You could argue he'll go ahead of the NC State kid, said a third scout. He'll probably uh, he's probably a little less developed than Aquanu, but he's also uh, bigger, longer, and just has good pass pro skills. Left tackle. A fourth scout said Cross wasn't comparable to Penny Sewell, the first offensive lineman selected last year. He's a, he is effing overrated <laughs> again insane right two guys saying this is the best tackle or maybe three i guess and the fourth guy says he's effing overrated his hips are high he can't sink his hips he has no power he has no technique he ain't ready yet it also lends itself to how crazy this draft is going to be i don't not only do i not know who the first pick is going to be i don't know who the first tackle second tackle and there's three tackles i don't know who's who's first second and third charles cross could be first depending on you know if one of those scouts that said he's the best is a Jaguar scout, who's to say the Jaguars don't take Charles Cross with the first overall pick? But again, he could also fall out of the top 10. I love this so much. Trevor Penning, first scout says, at that level of comp, he crushes those guys, one scout said. Iowa State was the only big team uh, they played. He's nasty, tough, smart. He's got strength, good, at, good enough athletic ability, not a nifty type guy, typical right tackle kind of player, that kind of athlete, which works for us. Uh, the type that will play forever. Spencer Brown, who started right tackle opposite Penning in 2019-20, logged 60.6% of the plays for the build, blah, 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 blah. Next quote, Brown was a good player, but I don't think it's close, Another said another scout. Uh, this kid's bigger, stronger, a better athlete. This guy is as mean as the day is long. The defensive line in Mobile for the Senior Bowl hated this guy. They just wanted to fight him. He's a good athlete for a big man. I'm not sure he can't be better than everybody in this group except Neil. So there's a scout saying this might be the second best tackle in the entire class. Could there be a stunner with Trevor Penning going top 10? Yes. He takes hard coaching, wants to be pushed, all football. It's much easier to calm a guy down than to jack him up, a third scout. Kind of an interesting guy, really good technician, not really strong, but he is tough. He 
ran a fast 40, 489, arms measured 34 and a quarter, and the three cone time of 725 seconds led the lineman. So if there's an additional goal here for this little project is to get super jacked up, that gets you jacked up. I didn't hear anybody say this guy's garbage. He's a second round pick. The scouts, if nothing else, they love his mentality. And by the way, um, Green Bay Packers fans, if you're looking for a guy that is um, meets their athletic thresholds because they like athletic based on their scheme, but also just the way that the team has been going for quite some time. But also, what's something else the team has been heading toward? Bigger and meaner. Six foot seven, 325 pounds, and he is violent and mean. And they said he's a right tackle. Every single thing said about Trevor Penning just fits perfectly. Our need along the offensive line, our, our desire of athleticism, and our head toward becoming bigger and meaner and tougher. Every single thing fits. Does it not? And I know a lot of people, well, Elton Jenkins is going to play right tackle. L- let me just pause here for a second. My personal opinion is the Packers don't have a definitive plan. The Packers' plan is to build the best available offensive line, and they have the ability to move him, um, that being Elton Jenkins, to tackle. Now, maybe you already said this, I don't know. But if the availability is there to get a tackle that you believe is a elite starting right tackle, would you turn that down so that you're turning down having David Bakhtiari at left tackle, Elton Jenkins, who is a Pro Bowl guard, Josh Myers, who presumably or hopefully will become a solid starting center for us, question mark at right guard, and then a top-tier right tackle. You're going to turn that down simply because you want Elton Jenkins to be a right tackle. I don't think it's that important. I think building a really high-quality offensive line in, in any way that you can is the best option. And getting a much lesser, maybe kind of mediocre, but hopefully kind of decent guard just so we can force Elton Jenkins to right tackle, I think it's, an, again, I think it's an option, and it might even be the best available option. But that depends on what's available in the draft. And again, if they believe this is an elite top-tier tackle. They will draft him, and they will keep Elton Jenkins inside a guard, which, by the way, considering our cap issues, paying him to be a top guard is going to be a lot easier than paying him to be a right a, a top tackle. Um, Russ Ball votes for that, by the way. <laughs> uh, Kenyon Green, he's not necessarily as talented as the other top guys, but he's a really good player. He could go at the end of the first. At worst, he goes really high second. He's light on his feet and really strong. He pushes people around in the run game. He's a better athlete than you want to give him credit for because he's one of those gritty, grimy guys. At first, you're thinking, all right, this is just a strong, tough guy. But he played left tackle in the SEC and did pretty well. Dan Moore started at left tackle for the Steelers, a rookie from uh, out there, Texas A&M, and he's better than him. Goes on to talk about it. He had a subpar workout, 5-2-4-40, et cetera, et cetera. Poor time in the shuttle. Arms are 34 and an 8. Third scout says, nimble and quick. Uh, he's got strike and jolt. They pull him a ton, and he's really good at it. Played four positions for them this year. Pretty impressive. So Kenyon Green is one of the few guys I just cannot get excited about. I might have to go back and keep trying. I don't see any speed. I mean, that 40 time makes sense to me. He seems slow. He seems powerful, but I just don't see him being like a, a quick enough guy. But, you know, whatever. By the way, keep in mind, this is in order. I, I didn't tell you the order, but Bernard Raymond is next. Then Cam Jurgens, center out of Nebraska. Then Tyler Linderbaum, considered to be a, a top 15 prospect, doesn't even show up until after Cam Jurgens the center and, and several steps, what are we at, like six? After that is Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. Then Zion Johnson, who I and a lot of Packer fans like, last on this list of offensive linemen in the top 50, putting him probably somewhere in the 40s, presumably. Is that very different than what you've heard? But that is the consensus, seemingly, among with Bob McGinn, at this, whether it's his top 50 or whatever, or the scouts, or, it's crazy. By the way, I, it sounds like we're going to be doing offense and then we'll do defense tomorrow because 
I don't want to rush too much or make this an hour and a half long, but that'll be the plan for tomorrow, I guess. Bernard Raymond, uh, very unpopular pick among Packer fans because, again, I think he's like 24, so everybody's like this guy. Or he, he will turn 25 this summer. That is, that is getting to be on the extreme end, but <laughs> still. Uh, born and raised in Austria, came to the Western Michigan as a foreign exchange student, played tight end in high school, served six months mandatory service in the Austrian military before spending four years at CMU where he enrolled at 235, caught 20 passes, a rotational tight end uh, in 2018-2019 before moving to left tackle where he started two seasons. Quote, you saw a lot of flashes, but his play from 2020 to 2021 increased as much as anyone I've ever done. Said one scout, that shows how smart the kid is and how great of a worker he is. He'll play for a long time. There might be some growing uh, growing pains early. Scored 35 on the 50-question Wonderlick test in March 2021. Will turn 25 this summer. Uh... For that background, you're like, whoa, this guy is pretty developed for coming where he came from. Said a second scout, new to the uh, sport and everything. He's a natural, quick-footed athlete. There's some mechanical stuff to him. That should be worked out with more playing time. He doesn't have that violence in his arsenal. Said a third scout, he overthinks everything. Uh, He's feeling his way through. Once he gets to the next level, that stuff multiplies 50%. He's a methodical player, not a first-rounder. So again, it really just depends who you're talking to. Some people see a guy with a massive upside, which is unfortunate because when you're 25 and you're talking about upside, you you can't really have like one or two years to learn. You're talking at 27, he figures it out. That's Granted, there are are tackles playing at 37, 38 years old. I think what's-his-name was playing until he was like 40. So not impossible that uh, the guy plays a long time, especially since he doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires. He's new to football. He played tight end for a long time. And that's that's where the upside comes in. People look at it and they're like, he he just learned tackle. And then he took probably the biggest leap of anybody in all of college football from one year to the next. That shows his massive upward potential. Other guys just see the downside, the mechanical stuff. And they're like, no, nah, this guy's old and slow and stupid. And all his complications are just going to get worse as he gets to the NFL. Also, by the way, uh, Bob McGinn is the only one who knows who these scouts are and what team they're for. So if you want to know why he's so good at figuring out who goes to what team, he knows who the scout was that says he didn't like Bernard. Now, again, the scout can be overruled by the GM if the GM and everybody else in the, ro- in the room disagrees. But you still got a pretty good inside track um, to be able to say, I don't think this team's taking Bernard. If, for example, that was a Packers scout at the end, I'd probably just take him off my, my board for the Packers. Next up, Cam Jurgens at center, a guy that really has not been talked about at all. 66303 began his career as a tight end in 2018, suffered a season-ending foot injury, but after a game, uh, after one game in redshirt, it started the past three years at center, had problems with uh, the shotgun snap in 2019-2020 before uh, becoming more dependable in 2021. He's a great athlete as far as running, said one scout. He can pull. He started out as a tight end, clocked 49240 with 25 reps on the bench. He's a little stiff in space, but he's strong for a guy that's not that big. If you need a center, Billy Price went in the first round, and he's a better player than Billy Price was. I'd take him over Josh Myers. Uh, Myers is a good player, but this kid's a much better athlete. He might be the meanest lineman on the board, him and the Northern Iowa guy, Penning. They're different sizes, but they would be ha- uh, be a hell of a fight. So we probably are not going to be taking a center because we just took Josh Myers. So if that's the only position he can play, then we're not going to, unless we can think we can move him to guard. But again, that nastiness is a is a something that should be a check mark in our minds when we hear that. Because again, the Packers want violence. They do. They want to be bigger. They want to be stronger. They want to be meaner. They've been doing that since since Gutekunst and, and Matt LaFleur kind of started changing this roster. Um, I'm going to skip Tyler Linderbaum because again, it's a Packers podcast. We don't really need to talk about center. But again, it is worth noting how low on this list he is. They don't really say anything super negative about him. 
just kind of that he's just kind of a meh guy. Like he's he's decent, he's solid, he does his job, but he's just kind of, you know, whatever. In fact, the third scout said kind of dumpy looking, not a wow athlete, just an exceptionally good football player. He'll probably play for 12 years. But let's talk about Tyler Smith, another football player that we just don't talk about, a tackle, very possibly a Packers tackle in the very near future. Uh, six four and a half, three 324 pounds, another really large human being. Third-year junior with 23 starts at left tackle in 25 games. That guy's a second-round pick, said one scout. Athletic, nasty, tenacious, willing. Needs to improve his technique, but he's got good enough skills that somebody will take a shot on him. He may be one of those sleepers in this thing. He's way better than Tevin Jenkins, the guy the Bears drafted in the second. God, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> that just makes me so happy. They traded up to get him real early in the second because Tevin Jenkins was supposedly this elite first-round prospect, which again, we only think that because there's these consensus big boards out there, but he fell for a reason. And the reason is these same scouts are probably like, Tevin ain't that good. Even now, when everybody's saying the Bears got a steal, you got scouts going, dude, he's way better than that bum Tevin Jenkins. Goes on to say uh, his best one-word description of himself was comedian, said another scout, very raw but tremendous upside. He has little more, uh, a little more upside than Raymond. I'm not sure about his smarts, but athletically he's real good. He's strong, sudden, light on his feet. He's good as a run blocker and in pass pro. He just needs a lot of technique work and to check on the mental. He has win with starting left tackle ability. I can see him getting out. Of, uh, I can't see him getting out of the second. He goes on to elaborate, says he ran a fast 40 at 5.02, has 34-inch uh, arms and large hands at 10 and three quarters. And it's, it's, again, I like doing this stuff because if you hear with the, you know, whatever pick the Green Bay Packers select Tyler Smith tackle out of Tulsa, there's going to be a lot of groaning and grumbling. Every single draft person out there is going to be talking about that was a reach, classic Packers. This guy was a third round, fourth round pick. In fact, let's look at where he's at. Tyler Smith, his consensus ranking is 80. 80. The highest he's ever ranked is 58th. He's on this top 50 list, and you got scouts saying no chance in the world he falls out of the second round. You see what I mean? But, I, but I'm telling you, if and when he goes in the second round, no matter who picks him, you're going to hear, wow, that pick sucked. <laughs> because we just, first of all, we don't know his name, right? If I go through the second round, what are you going to hear? Louis Seen. Boye Mafe, Dax, uh, Daxton Hill, Jaquan Brisker, Desmond Ritter, Kyler Gordon, Roger McCreary, DeMarvin Leal, Kenneth Walker, Matt Corral, Travis Jones, Bernard Raymond, Ar- Arnold Ebichetti, Christian Watson, Brees Hall, Christian Harris, Isaiah Spiller, Jalen Petrie, Logan Hall, Perry and Winfrey, Sam Howell, George Pickens, Trey McBride, right? Th- these are the same names you've heard over and over and over and over and over. Sky Moore, Daniel Falele. Uh, John Mechie, right? Some of these, some of these guys are now considered third-round prospects, but whatever. They're, they're second-round-ish. If Cam Thomas goes second round, Chad Muma, Drake Jackson, uh, even Kingsley Enigbari, Nicholas Petit Frere, any of these guys goes guys go second round. It's like it's I, I could see it. Leo Chanel, Fedarian Mathis, MyJ Sanders, any even the third-round prospects. If they go second round, late second round, nobody's really going to be like, wow, it's a little bit of a reach, but it's a great player. Tyler Smith. People are going to lose their mind if Tyler Smith goes because nobody knows who Tyler Smith is. And that brings us to Zion Johnson, a guy that I am a big fan of, mostly because of his athleticism. But let's see what the scouts had to say. His primary sport in high school was golf. Played one year of football before showing up at Davidson, uh, weighing in 225 and beginning his football career in earnest. Quote, smart as word. He's smart, basically. Perfect angles. Coach's dream. 
big enough, powerful enough, arm length enough uh, to play guard or center. Just watch the Senior Bowl. He can play guard. Also spent considerable time at center in Mobile. Uh, Mobile. There were some good reps and some really bad reps at the Senior Bowl. A second scout said he needs a lot of work. There's upside. Uh, goes on to talk about his combine. Didn't run well, 5.18, but excellent in the jumps. Led all offensive linemen in the bench. Arm length 34, hand length 10 and 5 eighths, uh, blah, blah, blah. Just a typical limited box era player, said a third scout. Athletically, I struggle to put him in the mix. I see mid-rounds. Mid-rounds, third, fourth, fifth, maybe? Presumably that would mean third, but again, have you ever, ever heard anybody say that? Again, there's so much groupthink. There is not groupthink among scouts. You have first-round prospects being called third-round prospects among scouts, and vice versa. You do not see anybody in the draft community calling Zion Johnson a third-round pick. Find me one. Because at the end of the day, even the best, the quote-unquote best talent evaluators, it's all about groupthink. And then uh, Matt Corral got called uh, a really bad backup um, quarterback, so I don't really want to elaborate on that too much, but kind of broke my heart a little bit, but it is what it is. (laughs) Let me just read this clip. Decent little athlete. Apparently, they thought he was going to be sub six foot, and he shocked everybody at six one and a half. So they can all go, you know, eat it. Decent little athlete can dink and dunk in that system. Not accurate downfield. Not really a playmaker. If he gets pressure, he has no chance. He gets beat up in the pocket. He fumbles. I don't get it. There's a ton of bad backup quarterbacks in the league that go from team to team. I see him in that category. That scout is the worst. And finally, there is one running back, one in the top fifty, one, Kenneth Walker. My personal opinion. I really like Kenneth Walker. He's, he's not my number one running back, just based on basic evaluation. But in terms of a Packers running back, he might be, because he is just a straight-up one-cut-and-go guy, and he is really good at that. He runs laterally, find the hole, and just punches through. I mean, he, I think, if I'm not mistaken, my quote-unquote comp for him was Aaron Jones. I could be wrong that it wasn't Kenneth Walker, but I think it was, because he just finds these holes that it's like, where, what, what did you even see? I didn't even see anything, and he sneaks through these non-existent holes. So that was my thought. So anyways, here is the thought on Kenneth Walker. I'll just read the whole thing. Mired in a job-sharing arrangement for two seasons at Wake Forest, he wound up rushing for 1,636 yards in East Lansing and finishing sixth in the Heisman Trophy voting. Quote, Wake Forest must not have known what they had there, one scout said. If it was Alabama, you could see that. Strong, aggressive runner with good feet and quickness. He had one-cut downhill style. What worries me is he absorbs a lot of punishment. He's so small, he's going to get hurt. I was worried about Josh Jacobs for the same reason, uh, he, and he always misses three or four games a year. Again, sounds a lot like Aaron Jones, doesn't it? Um, first couple years, he just kept missing time because he's, again, same kind of guy, and he's a little bit smaller. One scout estimated his speed at 4.59. There's, time he's, there's times he's lunging a piano when he's, he's oh, lugging a piano when he's running. He's pretty fast, 0 to 20, but he's got no breakaway speed. Again, that's Aaron Jones. Uh, he's like a little bowling ball, great character kid, really changed the dynamic, not only of their offense, but really their whole team, Aaron Jones. (laughs) He did a lot for that team. They really don't have a lot of talent. He'll be a good backup for somebody. Then Walker ran four, three, nine. This is now Bob McGinn coming in. Uh, so again, remember the, at least one scout estimated four, five, nine, he ran four, three, nine. Quote, he tore up Michigan, productive as heck, said a third scout. He can finish runs, runs hard, has balance and strength, has uh, his hands are okay. They don't use him a ton as a receiver, not a physical player, but he'll be a good starter. Uh, what's the value of a running back? I'd take him in the second round. So I'm very comfortable saying Kenneth Walker is Aaron Jones. Kenneth Walker, 5'9", 211, Aaron Jones, 5'9", 208. I mean, they're, they're the same guy. They're the exact same size, same style of runner. 
Um, they talk about him being a little bowling ball. He's got some power. We've seen Aaron Jones being a smaller guy with sometimes seemingly more power than A.J. Dillon. Say he's not necessarily a great receiver, which Aaron Jones is. I don't think Aaron Jones was that good of a receiver at first. Same with A.J. Dillon. He was not considered a great receiver. He's become a great receiver. The Packers work on it, and they they do some great things, especially when they say they never really used him in that capacity. So there's plenty of time to develop that. Again, A.J. Dillon was the same situation. They didn't throw to him very much at uh, Boston. So... If you're looking for an Aaron Jones replacement, Kenneth Walker is that guy. Whether or not you want to actually draft the next Aaron Jones so that we can move on from Aaron Jones, I don't know. But I'm just saying that's what it is. Finally, it says the next five in order. So this would be 51 through 55. George Pickens, uh, wide receiver out of Georgia. Daniel Fealele, tackle out of Minnesota. Darian Kennard, tackle out of Kentucky. Jalen Weidermeyer, tight end out of Texas, A&M. Again, this is pre-combine, so that presumably may have really dropped him, or I think he was pro day for him. I don't know. And then Brees Hall running back out of Iowa State, who is a consensus like very early second round pick. He is outside of the top 50 here. So again, I really wanted to do the defense because I I think there's actually more shocking things on the defense than the offense. Some of the stuff I heard was jaw dropping, but uh, we'll have to save that for tomorrow. How's that for a little teaser? Because we are over an hour and um, it would take us probably a half hour to get through the defense. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.